You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Romans 6 verse 1 What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Thanks, Anita. Yeah, so I'm going to try and go without the mic because it's quite irritating, that little buzzing noise, but we'll see how we go, right? Um, so up the back there, can you hear me okay? No worries, no worries. I think we're okay. So we'll just go for it. Uh, yeah, so we're looking at this passage tonight, Romans chapter 6, 1 to 14. And that question, it's really easy. Usually I sort of work on the passage and try to work out, you know, what's the big question this passage um, is answering, but Paul, the author of Romans, has given me a gift this week because right there, the question for this passage is in verse 1, written for us. Look there. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's the question that we'll be answering tonight uh, in this talk. And why is this an important question? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I mean, it's a rhetorical question that Paul is asking because he anticipates that on the back of all he has said thus far, maybe someone would come to that conclusion, especially the law-loving Jewish Christians. This is a big issue he's trying to deal with, right? There are Christians there from a Jewish background and they've accepted Christ as the Messiah. And I've, I've said this several times, but just to rub it in so you really get what's going on here. They've accepted Christ as the Messiah, but their understanding was it would be a bit like King David. What was so great about King David as the, 
as, as the, their Messiah back in the day? Why was he so powerful? Because he helped us to obey the law. He loved the law and he led the community, right, in obeying the law. And through great King David, therefore, blessing came, right? And so the Jews are going, well, you know, Messiah 2.0, great King David's greatest son, surely that's exactly what's going to happen here. He will lead us so, in such a powerful, inspiring way to obey the law that blessings will finally come in a full orb sense to the Jewish people under God and they'll be a blessing. to So that's roughly what's going on here, right? And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what the good news is in Jesus. The Messiah 2.0 doesn't lead us uh, in our most successful attempt yet to obey the law. The Messiah 2.0 gives us righteousness. Messiah 1.0 is kind of meant to show you that even the very best of men and the very best of attempts, Messiah 1.0, won't cut the mustard. Therefore, you need Messiah 2.0, I give you my righteousness. Like This is what he's arguing. And so we live in grace. And so he's, he's said something in the previous section here in Romans and which we talked about last talk, which, which directly feeds into this rhetorical question he's asking, which would make it bubble to the surface. Look what he says here in chapter 5. Come back with me for a bit of a, a refresher. Chapter 5, verse 20. He says, chapter 5, verse 20, have it there open if you've got a physical Bible or a phone or whatever, have it there open. The law was brought in. Right, to save us, to redeem us, to make us righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. What are you talking about, Paul? Yeah, well, God gave you the law to show you that you're sinful and that with all the help in the world, tabernacles, temples, priests, sacrificial system, great King David, with all the help in the world, you still can't do it. And thus, if you can't do it, no one in the world can do it. The whole world is condemned through the law, says Paul. Right? So this is his argument. The law was brought, in fact, to increase the trespass. And then he goes in, uh, on in verse 20, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God is determined to forgive and to bless and to stick with the Jewish people, even though they kept on rebelling and kept on sinning and kept on denying the godness of God. God stuck with them. More grace in response to continued and more disobedience. Verse 21, so that, here's a really counterintuitive idea, so that just as sin reigned in death, and this is what I got you to discuss last talk, Sin is ruling in death, right? Sin is over us, which leads us to death, is ruling over our lives. So what's the, what's the flip side of that? What should be the opposite? What should be the answer to sin ruling over us, which leads us to death? Surely, righteousness ruling over us to lead us to eternal life, right? That should, should be how it works. That's the answer. That's the law answer. But Paul says, no. What rules over us in Jesus is grace. Grace rules over us. Yes, grace through righteousness brings us to eternal life. But you've got to get this. Righteousness is a gift from first to last. No talk 
of being obedient to the law, thank you very much, among us Christians. It's a category error. It's a fundamental mistake. This is very hard for us to accept. Paul is saying here, being good, striving to be holy, being a conscientious Christian doesn't work. It doesn't work. You will fail if that's the way you approach your Christianity. And you'll become disillusioned, you'll become bitter, you'll become sad, you'll become lonely and depressed. That's what's in store for you if you are a law-loving Christian. And this is really counterintuitive and hard for you guys. And the, reasons why, the reason why it's counterintuitive and hard, for, for, particularly for you guys, for this kind of audience, a lot of people are offended by saying the law doesn't work. I know, it's, it's a hard word to hear. I get it, right? But um, no, the reason why, why it's hard for you guys, I reckon, in particular, is for you. I mean, look, I grew up a failure. I was terrible at school. I just failed from year dot. I just couldn't do it. I was absolutely hopeless. The, the grace to me was, was you know, like, uh, 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 you know, sweet and sour. It just went, I got it immediately. I totally get grace. But for you guys... Law has worked. You have been self-disciplined enough to get your first choice. I mean, you, you desperately didn't want to get, to get to Melbourne Uni. And thank <laughs> God, thank God that you got to Monash Uni. Yeah, you got your first choice, right? You worked hard. You've, you've met the mark. You've been self-disciplined enough. You've done the hard work and it's paid off. Self-discipline has worked for you, right? That's how you roll. And, 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 and for you, it's associated with the, the most important things in life. Work hard, you get a good degree, you'll set yourself up for life. It'll put you in the best possible scenario to have a, 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 a situation, to have a good life. And Paul's going, nah, scrap it. When it really comes to what matters in life, it just doesn't work at all. If you follow that track, you will fail. And so here he's saying it has to be all about grace. But then we get to our question, therefore, right, in chapter 6, verse 1. Well, then, Paul, what shall we say? Are you trying to say, Paul, just think of the Jewish Christian there, right? Are you trying to say, Paul, that it's therefore a good idea to keep on sinning then because we're going to show off grace? Is that what you're trying to argue? If, if we're not going to be about the law, what are we going to be about? What's left for us to do but just to keep on sinning? Shall we continue on sinning that grace may increase, Paul? And Paul says here, by no means. And here in this passage, he wants to argue that the only way as a Christian you will really grow in righteousness, the only way you will successfully grow in righteousness is if you live by grace and not under law. That's what he wants to argue here. And that's what he's about to argue. The only way you're successfully growing in righteousness as a Christian is if you live by grace and not under law. It will not work to, to, to live under law. So his, his first answer to that question, verse 2, by no means, is quite simple and straightforward. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Simple answer. Shall we go on sinning? Well, no, of course you don't go on sinning as Christians because we've died to sin. So if you've died to something, that means you've put it behind you. That means you've cast it off. That means you won't have, won't have nothing more to do with it. I've died to chocolate. I'll never eat it again. I've died to watching The Bachelor, and I have done that. I will never watch it. I will never watch you. Amen. Praise Jesus. 
I will never watch it again. I've died to sin. I will never touch it again, says Paul. 30 seconds, person next to you, have you died to sin? Go. 30 seconds, go. Okay, stop. Okay. It's a safe place. We're among friends. Hands up. Don't think about it. On the count of three, I want hands up if you believe you've died to sin. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay, good. Yeah, there's a slight sort of confusion, a few grace. I'm sort of, I'm sort of a bit grey. I mean, Paul just says here, right? I mean, you can't go wrong with saying yes, because Paul just says here, <laughs> we are those who have died to sin. So I would be a liar to say categorically we haven't died to sin. But what I want to point out to you is you know full well, don't you, that in your body, you still sin. You know you do. So if Paul means by dying to sin that I have nothing to do with it anymore, there's no way that's true. No way that's true. I've sinned, I know for sure I've sinned in the last week. I've lied to my wife in the last week, and I'll tell you more of that story in a minute later on in the talk. <laughs> but I've, you know, I, I know I've done that. I know I've done that. So what does Paul mean when he says, we've died to sin, therefore we don't want any more to do with it? What does he mean by that? Why can he be so emphatic that we've been separated from it? Well, look here, he answers that question here in verse 3. Or don't you know, those of you who are wondering what the heck I mean by dying to sin, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Make this a memory verse for the week. It's amazing what he's saying here. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here he's talking about this, this idea called union with Christ. This idea that we are so fused with Christ that what is true for him is true for me. When will I die for my sin? Wrong question. When did I die for my sin? Right question. I, I, Stuart White, personally, I have already died for my sin. He's saying here that when we're baptized, it's symbolic of what happens to us in Christ. It's symbolic, you know, of being washed clean and being raised in your life. How are we washed clean? You know, it symbolizes going down into the grave. We die, but we don't actually literally physically die, do we? Yes, but Jesus literally physically died. And that's the death that's being symbolized. And that's because I am in Jesus. Jesus over there didn't die on a cross for me over there. Jesus died on the cross as me. He died as me 2,000 years ago. I have already died. 
maybe what will help us get our head around this concept is um, the idea of flying in a plane. I think it's really helpful the, the language we use when we talk about flying. We say when we fly, right, we're going to go fly to Perth or fly to Sydney. Who would go to Sydney? Fly to Perth. You know, we're going to fly to Perth. I'm flying to Perth. I'm going to fly to Perth. But it's not like, right, I, I go and I jump on the plane, or better still, I go to the airport and I run down the runway <laughs> with my arms flapping. <laughs> I'm going to fly. And that's exactly how adults are going to get there. I think that's how, that's how you get up off the ground, really. Stick the neck out, come on. A little bit of a kick. So it's not like I... I it's not like I'm doing much flying, am I? When I say I'm flying to Perth, I'm being flown to Perth. But we get the idea, right? We get the idea. I make the decision to step onto the plane, but actually I'm very passive, right? But we so get the connection, our connectedness with the plane, that even though it's the plane that's doing the flying, we can meaningfully say, I'm flying to Perth. But I just sit there drinking my Coke or whatever, right? But because the plane... Because the plane is floating up above the clouds, I too am floating up above the clouds. And it says, doesn't it, in Colossians, similar kind of thing. Your life is hidden. Your life, Christian, right now. Your life. Where is it? Right here. No, it's not. Your life that is truly your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. It says that in Colossians. And who you are truly now will be revealed when he returns because that's where your life is. We have died to sin because 2,000 years ago, Christ died as us. We have been separated from our sin as far as the east is from the west. Why will I not continue on sinning that grace may increase? Because I've been physically separated from it, even though I still sin in my body. I've, it's, I, I have been made an enemy of it, and it's been made an enemy of me. We, when I see it, I cross the street. I don't like it. Even though I still do it, I don't like it anymore. I don't love to indulge in it. And that's why I've turned to Christ, to have it taken from me. And it's been done. I've died to sin. That's why I won't continue on sinning. Not willfully. We've died to sin. We've been set free from sin is the, is the second thing he argues in the next few verses. Why won't we continue on sinning so that grace may increase? Because we've been free from sin. We are free from any obligation to the sinful nature. Look there in verses 5 and 7. For if we've been united with him in a death like his we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him 2,000 years ago, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The key idea here is that we are set free from being slaves to sin. We still sin, but we are no longer its slave. What does Paul mean by that? Well, before Christ came along, when sin ruled over my life, I owed sin something. 
because it ruled over me. It could, it could say that it could say that he owned me, and it, and it could it could say that I owe it my death. It could say that to me. I rule over you. You owe me your life. But now that Christ has come along, it's no longer true, and that's why he's sort of rubbing in here that assurance. But he's saying, look, because you've died in Jesus, just as he as he, as he was raised from the dead, surely you too will be raised, right? If you died with Jesus two thousand years ago and you've already seen that he's been raised, well then surely you too in the future will be raised. You've got to know that's true. There's no way that sin can now control you. Just imagine living with a tiger in your house. You would rightly, right, live in fear. Even if it was domesticated. You've heard of these stories, you know, where people, or you've seen the YouTube videos, I've seen the YouTube videos, you know, of people who are, get too friendly with tigers that have been domesticated that are enclosed and they feed them and they've got to know them over years and use their trainers and then suddenly one day the tiger turns on them have you seen that kind of thing and so you've never seen it like youtube it's such a great it's a great three hours worth of viewing just watch it you know um yeah so that, that happens right we we know that a tiger is inherently wild and no matter how much you domesticate it You've always got to be on edge. You've always got to be on guard. But just say the tiger that lived in your house had been defanged, all its teeth had been taken out. What? Just say all its claws had been ripped out. Well, then, really, then you wouldn't be afraid of it anymore. It'd just be a, a big glorified pussycat, right? It'd just be a big chunky pussycat. It could still perhaps knock over a bookcase and kill you that way, but you know. <laughs> So maybe a little bit afraid, but you know, the, the thing that we're really afraid of about tigers is those, those weapons, its claws, its teeth, its ability to devour. Take those away, its power is gone. It's still there in your house, right? It's still there in your house. But it has no power or fear over you. And that's what Paul is saying here about sin. Sin is still in your life. Sin is still in my life. I still sin to this day, but I don't fear it anymore. I don't owe it anything. This is something I do occasionally. I pass it on to you and encourage you to try it as well. I look in the mirror sometimes. I look in the mirror and I say to myself, Stuart, you've already died for the sin that you will commit today, for the sin that you'll commit tomorrow, certainly the sin you've committed in the past. You've already died for that. You can't get much more dead than dead. It's already happened. When I sin, when I fumble, when I fall, I can just brush it off and get straight back up again. Because we are free from slavery to sin. Thirdly, thirdly, why shall we not go on sinning that grace may increase? Well, because now we are freed up and we are freed up for this positive to live with him. That is to live with Christ, to live as he is living because our identities are fused together. What does Jesus do now? Just twiddling his thumb up there in heaven, watching Bachelor. In, in, I don't know what he's doing. What's, no, no. What's he doing? He's living. He is living proactively for God, for his glory, for his joy and for God's glory, for his father's glory. And we are freed up now to do that. That's the only productive thing left for us to do anymore. Sin can't destroy us. So even when we fall, 
There's no point in wallowing in it. Just get straight back up again. The only thing that really counts for anything now is not sin. The only thing that counts for anything is righteousness, is holiness. So Paul is saying, why not just do that? Look here in verses 8 to 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. There is nothing left. This is the psychology of sin that's important for us to get. There is simply nothing left that is productive or fruitful for us to do as Christians now than simply to pursue righteousness. And what I mean by that is there's no point wallowing in sin or fighting sin particularly. Don't try and get rid of the sin. Try and pursue righteousness. That's the freedom, right, that we have in Jesus. And it makes a massive difference. Fighting the sin is what a person who lives under law does. How do I become righteous? Get rid of all the sin. Fight the sin. Take away the sin. It will never happen. It'll be a life of drudgery. And what this passage is saying is Jesus has set you free from that to be able to focus on just the good. Just pursue the righteousness. Of course, that'll require taking off the sinful nature. But when you fail, you don't need to focus on that and wallow in the guilt and shame. You can just straight away get up again and focus on the positive. That's the joy, the grace, the freedom, the power over sin that God has given you. And it's an amazing gift. And it sounds too good to be true because it's a supernatural, miraculous, lavish gift of grace from God to you. And that is what life is fundamentally about. When life was given, given to Adam and Eve in the garden, it was just all gift, wasn't it? It wasn't as if some sort of amoeba worked their way up and sort of exercised and sort of grew their own intelligence and strength and wisdom so that they could become worthy of being a human who could bear the image of God. I've achieved, I've leveled right to there. No, God out of the dust made the human and breathed his spirit into them and said, you will be my image bearer. It's a gift. Life was always a gift. So is freedom from sin. Don't try and earn something that's a gift. It's rude. At the very least, it's rude. How does this practically work? It's important to get this, I think, the psychology of sin. Recently, and this is where the lying to my wife comes into things. Recently, um, I've been on, I can't even quite get the words right. It's a keto diet, is that right? And I'm trying to, I'm, there's some mythical state, some mythical promised land I'm trying to get to, which is ketosis. Does anyone know what that means? I don't know what it means. Apparently, it's brilliant. My wife keeps on saying, get to ketosis. It's amazing. There'll be this like super turbocharged fat burning mode and it'll just fall off you and you'll be healthy and happy. And, and you know, she's, she's sort of real. She's done this diet for me. And, and, and my wife is prowling around like that lion. And she's, you know, <laughs> I, I live in fear in our house <laughs> because there is no sugar allowed, no carbs allowed, a strict diet, no snacking between meals except like, you know, a... For, for a treat, darling, have, have a skin of orange. Come on, there you go. <laughs> Come on, re have fun. You know, this is my treat for the day. Like, it's really, really hardcore. And we, we've done it, uh, for, I've, I've done this for eight weeks, and I've lost weight slowly because I haven't, I've never got to ketosis. Um, 
but I've just been eating less, right? So it's, you know, that's just how it works. My wife, in the, she did it with me to empathize. She doesn't not need to lose weight at all, but she did it with me. In the first three days, she was in flipping ketosis. So she's like, I can, here are the little strips you pee on to check. Come on, Stu, come on, go pee on the strip. They're not, no, darling, no, please, I don't want to do this. I wake up with a cold sweat most nights, sort of with the ketosis monsters chasing me down the street. To the, it's just crazy. I, and my wife has this sixth sense, like the other, the other week, the other week. Um, like she goes, have you had any indiscretions? But no, no, love. And, that's, and sometimes I just lie. <laughs> I just go, well, you know, it depends what you call the indiscretion. The other week, um, there were some Freddo frogs that I'm sure they're, they're shoved in the back of the pantry under all this other stuff, right? There were three left in the bag. And I thought, I think I vaguely remember at least buying them in you know, January for the kids. And look, you know, they've forgotten about them. I thought, I, you know, I've been doing well. I, you know, I, I deserve a treat. I deserve a Fredo. So I went in there and just I devoured a lot. And then and I just shoved the bag back in empty. Because <laughs> that's what you do, right? That's what you do. And then it could have been the mice. Who knows? And so then I'm, then I'm in the office. I'm in the office that, that evening. And Leash comes into me and I'm not, I'm not afraid at all. And then she just goes, so Stu, uh, about these uh, Fredo frogs in the pantry. I'm like, oh, no. Like... This is insane. This morning, sorry, this is the end of the story. This morning, <laughs> and this is the key point though. This morning I got up and uh, she's given me a little bit of a reprieve, but I'm trying to stick to it. And this morning I got up, I got up early before the kids, nice and quiet in the house. And there's a jar on the bench in the kitchen and it's full of uh, lint balls. Uh, I know, right? I know. And uh, they're, covered, they're covered in the green wrapping and I've never seen lint balls with the green wrapping and so I'm like well that's pretty interesting <laughs> I, I mean I wonder what the green lint ball tastes like well I'm not going to find out because I'm on the way to ketosis land <laughs> I, it's not for you Stu and I sort of turned around and went back and sort of rustling around I thought it probably in the back of my mind, some sort of excuse get to get back to the kitchen, but I went back to the kitchen and something else. There they are again, calling me stew, come and taste me. And like, I'm thinking, oh, what, surely it won't, you know, what will it really matter just to have one? So I, you know, and I really want to know what it's, just to find out what it tastes like. I don't want the chocolate, I just want to find out what the taste is. So I pop one in my mouth and I thought it might be a mint chocolate, but it's not, it's salted caramel. I love salted caramel. <laughs> And now, and now I'm in this really awful predicament, right, where I, I love this salted caramel, but I, I also feel immediately guilty. Like, I don't want to lie to my wife. I will, I'll just fess up. I won't lie to her, but now I feel absolutely rubbish, and I've done what I said to myself I wouldn't do, and, you know, who will comfort me in my woe? Well, I've stuffed it now, just one more lint ball. So, you know, I go and I grab a nut. This is, this is the important bit I want you to get, right? When you're living by law, right, when you're under ketosis and there is zero tolerance under ketosis, the, the trip there, same with the law. There is zero tolerance under the law. When you sin, if what you're trying to do is to be legalistically righteous, you are all alone. Sin once, you have failed God. And you know it. Sin once and you are less than what Jesus wants you to be and what the Father demands that you be. Sin once and you've screwed up. 
and sin once and you feel like I can't call myself a son or a daughter. And the only friend you've got, this is the really messed up bit, the only comfort you've got is what? The sin itself. And this is why Paul is saying it does not work to live under law. If you really want to pursue righteousness, when there's zero, zero tolerance involved, you cannot live under the law. It cannot be about your ability to be good in and of yourself because you'll never get there. And the only comfort you'll have is the sin itself. While if you're rubbish about the fact you can't really call yourself a Christian. And some of you are stuck in horrible sins. We know, don't we? Like pornography, it's epidemic, it's horrible. It's a horrible, vicious, nasty, powerful sin. There are lots of examples like that. Sin can be so horrible. And there are people in this room tonight. And pornography has got you. And you think the way out is just to stop. And I'm telling you the way out is to thank God it can't kill you. Start there. That has to be the starting point. Start with Jesus has got this. Start with I feel so rubbish and so guilty, but I've already died for this. I can't pay any higher price than that. That's where you have to start. Living in grace. Just dust it off. Forget about it. And pursue righteousness because you're not out. You're in. You're in with the Father. I better finish there. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.